Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, I hope all of you are having a great week, that these uh, 100 days that we've been going through have been meaningful in your life. I want to start off this morning by just saying thank you to all of you that prayed for my family uh, during this time. Uh, it, was, it was a rugged go uh, for my family. We, we lost my father. Uh, he lost the battle to COVID, but I love from, from chapters out of like 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about though we may lose this battle, we did not lose the war. Because of my father's faith in Jesus, um, we were able to celebrate not only his life, but most importantly, we were able to celebrate the victory of Jesus. So to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Now, now here's where I wanna go this morning. For, for over 90 days, we've, we've been focused on some of the you know, practices, the rhythms from scripture that we know will place us onto the pathway and, and bring us into the presence of God. We do so because, and, and here's why, we believe that the height of human existence, the, the purpose for which God created us is to know him, to love him, to enjoy him and become like Jesus Christ. We, we've listened to God by spending time in his word, both, both alone and with, with other people that we know. We've, we've spoken with God through prayer and, and in private and alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ. We've practiced certain things and even like what Chris talked about, we've withheld from, from others so that we might, we might long for God. We wanted to see the life of Christ formed in us so that we're obedient, so that we're experiencing the, the fullness of all that comes from it. And for many of us, we've seen just this outcome. I've personally seen God do a work in me that I have prayed about for years. I mean, I mean for sure, right? It wasn't without experiencing failure but we've noticed changes in our lives so that we can see that we are being transformed. Now, now these practices, these, these acts of faith that, that put us into the presence and pathway of God are what Paul meant in Galatians by keeping in step with the Spirit. And good news, those, those who keep in step with the Spirit, they won't act in ways that are contrary to God. From our lives right now come some very special and God-given qualities, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, and gentleness and self-control. And my prayer is that you're truly happier. Not, not in that, that, like, that fleeting happiness, right, that's kind of always found in these, these misplaced pleasures of life that we so often pursue, but, but just that, that deep and full joy that were promised by Christ because we know God and are being made new in his son. So, so regardless of, the, of the, maybe the ebbs and flows of life of the last 100 days, the, the, the joys and the pains, I know that if you walked these 100 days with us of pursuing Christ, if you've if you've seen new obedience in your life that was produced as you encountered God through his spirit, you have joy. In fact, and let me just say this, you can't not have joy. All those who come to God through faith in Christ by the power of the spirit will exude joy no matter what their circumstances are. However, and here's where I wanna to go today. 
what we do with all this joy building up within us, what, what do we do with it? Well, I think sadly, sometimes we don't, we don't do anything with it. We simply kind of just move on to the next thing and it just then dissipates. But going on in life without in some way expressing this joy that, that comes from God's work in our lives, even if you move on with like an, an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude, it isn't quite complete. So here's what I want to do. This is what I want us to see today, is that there's another, this, another rhythm or practice in our lives that's, that's found in the Bible that we're to display after God has demonstrated some power in us we're supposed to celebrate. Now, now, just to be clear, each of us in some way, right, we, we know what celebration is. Some celebrations are regular, maybe like the 4th of July or, or maybe even like Thanksgiving. Or, or we celebrate it at weddings, uh, birthdays, after the birth of a kid. Some, however, right, they're spontaneous. Recently in Los Angeles, to my dismay, not to others, we celebrated an NBA championship. We celebrated a World Series. And even like on a smaller level, after a touchdown or maybe a, a great performance or after we get a new job or, or land a certain client, there's something in us that just longs to explode with joy to mark the moment. That's why we've saved this spiritual practice for the end. Something is to come from within us that marks God's ongoing victory in our lives for the last 100 days, and that thing is celebration. You see, all of those things, right, that, that I just mentioned, that we, that we celebrate in life, I believe are just, they're, they're little tastes into something greater. It doesn't make those things insignificant, but instead, they remind us that there is more. Built into creation, and especially built into God's prized creation, us, humanity, there is this longing to erupt in celebration. We were designed to do so because we have, and I want us to get this, we have a God who celebrates. Now, I don't want to just say that. So let me see if, if I can, like, this morning maybe show you what I mean by this. Now, one of the most beloved stories in the Bible is the parable of the prodigal son that you read about in Luke 15. The opening of the story, right, it's this, it's, it's just absolutely heart-wrenching. The youngest of two sons of a, of a wealthy landowner comes to his dad, right, and he tells him that he wants his inheritance before the dad is even dead. I mean, I was thinking about this. Can I imagine going to my father right before he died and just said, hey, dad, I want my inheritance? It would have been absolutely, I don't know, maybe shocking. But the father, in even a more shocking way, gives him his request. And the young man, right, he, he cashes out the land, the servants, the livestock, and then he goes and he, he blows every penny in, in debauchery and shame. It's kind of that, that classic story of foolishness that, that leads a person to just ultimate ruin. Now, finally, in Luke 15, after coming to his senses, you find, and you'll see this like in verse 17, the young man realizes his stupidity of this decision that he's made, and he resolves to disgracefully return home in the hopes that somehow his dad will, will, will take him back. 
but not just take him back, but to take him back as a servant. Now, as he nears the father, who must have been, we can see this from the text, just lovingly and, and painstakingly, like watching for his return. In verse 20, this, this young fool begins to just shamefully kind of trudge back into town. The dad, and this is the surprise of the story, runs to him and just absolutely covers his shame. No, no dignified man at this time would have, would have gone to the son, especially not run to him. That was, that was absolutely unheard of at this time. But what I want you to catch from this is this dad was special. He took shame upon himself to, to cover the shame of this one that he loved, his son. And with exuberance, the father just embraced the boy and began to kiss him like just all over his head. He, and, 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 and again, here's our idea. He celebrated the return of his wayward child. I want you to see that because this is so important to where we're going today. With his father embracing him in, in verse 21, the son just, just brokenly repents and, and declares his allegiance to his father. He acknowledges that he had no right in any way whatsoever in that moment to be his son, and he merely just requested, Father, could I have a position in the home just as a servant? The father, and again, this is what I, I love about this story. He wasn't done celebrating. When you look down at verse 22, he, he looked at all of his servants and he told them, look, I want you to go get the best robe, the robe only a son would be allowed to wear. He instructed them then to, to put it on him and to place on his finger another sign of sonship, this, this ring. He wanted his, his, his stinky and deflated son to be dressed like the kid of a dignified landowner. And then he proclaimed, notice this carefully. I want you to see this in verse 23. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat, and here's our word, and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And all the people began to celebrate. This parable that Jesus taught teaches us so much about God the Father, right? We, we, we learn about his greatness, not just his, his dignity and power, but in his power to forgive the wayward and broken. We see in this story a goodness that doesn't leave people in their shame, but rescues them from it and gives them honor instead of shame. It's clear from the parable that though people are faithless, Man, God remains faithful. And for us, which is important to where we're trying to go this morning, it shows that our God celebrates. In fact, the word celebrate, which, which means to make merry, is used four times in the parable to make sure that we get it. A characteristic of our Father is to, is to make merry. Our God celebrates. Now, I think for many of us, and, and I'm one of those people, we sometimes like struggle to see this picture. 
After failure, right, we, we tend to cower back to the Father in shame and guilt like the prodigal, often with a completely wrong picture of God. Now, if we use the story of the prodigal, we imagine in our heads this dad forcing his son to walk in shame through the town to, to get to him so that he somehow now learns his lesson. Then when he does, like, finally arrive, we tend to see the father kind of like, you know, I don't know, like arms crossed, like, like towering over the groveling son, make sure that, making sure that he understands just exactly what he has done. We're sure that the dad will force him to somehow now earn back favor and, and maybe even repay the family trust he squandered. And yet I think that's why we love this story. See, it's, it's the opposite oftentimes of what we find. The dad, instead, what does he do? He makes merry. He's ready to celebrate. So what I want to do is I want to take this, this important characteristic of God that's, that's painted in this parable, and I want to expand on it. What this truth means is that if we are created in the image of God, then we too are designed to celebrate. It should be a characteristic of us. To be clear, right, it's not like cool in the gang where we simply, you know, celebrate good times. Come on. <laughs> no. Biblical celebration is always connected to the work of God, not our, not our circumstances, our good times. It is a trust and a confidence in God's greatness and goodness and faithfulness. And what's important this morning is that sometimes our celebration is spontaneous and it's something also that sometimes is instituted by God. But the key is that it's supposed to be a regular part, a rhythm in our lives. So, so let me give you some examples because I want you to see this from the Bible. I don't want you just to take my word for it. When you go to like Exodus 15, it's one of these beautiful spontaneous celebrations that we come across that was happening to God's people as they crossed the Red Sea. They were, they were exiting slavery. They just witnessed God destroy the greatest army on the planet. And what did they do? They erupted spontaneously in the celebration of his greatness and goodness and faithfulness to them from God. Moses and the people, man, they sang a song together to commemorate, commemorate his victory. And one of my favorite is Miriam and the women, man, they played drums and they danced. What God had done in their midst just absolutely welled up within them. And what did they do? They exploded from the inside for all to see. They celebrated. Another example is when David brought the Ark of God to Jerusalem. He, he brought it in with, with, with absolute fanfare. The words used in 2 Samuel 6 were that, that David and, 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 and all of the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Sure, no doubt, like a, a dude died because he dodged, touched the Ark, so we don't want to make our celebrations flippant. But it was full of life. The Hebrew word that's used for celebrating is, again, to, to make merry or to laugh. Not only that, but David was dancing with all of his might, wearing this, 
this linen ephod. He was dressed like a priest. He was, he was leading soldiers in celebration as they shouted and blew horns. And when he was finally confronted by Michal, his wife and, and, and the daughter of Saul, for somehow in her mind, he kind of went a little bit overboard in his celebration. He looked back at her and he chastised her for missing the point and told her he would go even further if need be. Why? Because for David, the greatness and goodness and faithfulness of God must stir in us a celebratory response. Now, it wasn't always something that was just spontaneous. In Exodus 12, God, he instituted regular, planned, kind of almost instituted rhythms, and one of them was the Passover. He wanted it to be this memorial that was marked by feasting, or better yet, when we kind of translate it correctly, celebration. In Exodus 23, he even went further to really like cement home this greatness, goodness, and faithfulness. He, he even added two more feasts or celebrations, which were the, the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booze. Now, God instituted these celebrations with the expectation that his people would, they would retell the story of God's power and love. His people were to eat and drink and sing and dance. They were to be these regular yearly rhythms within the nation as a reminder to them of God's power. God wanted this characteristic of his, this celebration to be expressed by his people. And by the way, and I want you to catch this, especially in our time of pandemic, he wanted this to happen even in difficult times when they didn't feel like it. So, so let me just review this. Moses and the people of God and, and David and his mighty men witnessed God's greatness, goodness, and faithfulness and exploded in praise. They celebrated. And in doing so, they displayed God well, the goal of every follower of Jesus. In Isaiah 57, I believe this is why God told Isaiah, look, I'm the one who gives you reason to celebrate. We're meant to do so. It's why, think about this, in creation, the angels sang and shouted when God created the world. It's, it's the reason the angelic realm burst out in song at the birth of Christ and the reason they, they break out in praise when someone worthy was found to finally open those scrolls in Revelation. When Christ returns, right, we, we, we read this to establish his, his forever kingdom. All of rescued humanity will celebrate his victory over all that is opposed him. It's even why we celebrate when those who are, are far off from God are brought near. It's why we clap when someone's baptized. It's why we sing praise, right, when we gather with the saints. And his goodness and his greatness and his faithfulness are why we must celebrate these 100 days before we just kind of simply move on to the next thing. Celebration of God's power to transform in a way kind of completes the circle, but it also then prepares us for what God has for us next that's to be celebrated. Grace isn't just a present reality or a past reality. God has more grace for us in the future. So what does this mean, I guess, practically, right? Because I, I, I want this to be something that becomes a, 
a regular part of our lives. I don't want this just to be a flash in the pan for us. Well, this, this rhythm of scripture is difficult for me for, for two reasons. And look, I, I'm sure there's more. But first, I, I think it's difficult because I think sometimes we haven't seen it as important. We've separated it into something that we do maybe outside of our Christian lives, right? It's for things like, I don't know, birthday or, or retirement parties. We do it at, at sporting events or after a big accomplishment in life. But too often, I think within the church, it's seen as almost maybe um, irreverent or, or silly when it comes to our life in Christ. I mean, aren't God's people supposed to be serious and pious and careful how we display our more enthusiastic emotions? Wasn't that, that shouting and, and dancing thing just like an Old Testament reality? Now second, I'm a practical Wyoming boy. In my house, we save Chick-fil-A sauce packets because you wouldn't dare throw them out. We plan all of our vacations around speaking engagements to keep them affordable. And my wife and I, to my shame when I say this, we don't exchange gifts for special occasions. I'm, I'm kind of the disappointed dad who right, goes around the house and, and shutting off lights, complaining that, you know, to my kids, it costs money. And for the longest time, and I would say even almost to this day, I believed my, my practical, simplistic way of living was the only way God wants us to live. And I still believe simplicity is good and a godly characteristic. I've just realized I've taken it too far. But like anything, simplicity taken too far creates a focus on scarcity that I started to kind of, I don't know, internalize and then to live it out. And I just started to realize what a terrible way to view God. S celebration, however, is not first and foremost about exuberant emotions or expensive events or gifts. Celebration is a posture in our hearts that allows us to share and be generous with others in our lives. It, it, it kind of invites people into the joy that we've found in God's greatness, goodness, and faithfulness. So I wanna lay out for us, I think, four things that, that may practically maybe help us celebrate better as a church. Here, here's the first one. I think we need to refocus again and anew on God's provision. I think if we're honest, we're too easily distracted and, and swallowed up by both maybe the, the incidental or maybe the, the enormous challenges of life that we forget that many times, man, God has dropped manna or parted the waters for his people. Celebration, as we've seen this morning, though, is at the heart of God. He wants us to celebrate those things. And we can because our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He also controls the, the social, the political, the welfare environment of our world. One guy I was reading this week, he, he said something like this, and I don't know if I'll get it exactly, but modern people have pressed so hard towards this, this useful work and, and rational calculus, calculation that we've almost forgotten the joy of just ecstatic, exuberant celebration. Think about it. We are so consumed with stress and worry and doubt. These are emotions that tend to consume us. 
We're all too busy, I think, looking for bigger or maybe that things will get better. And, and more often than that, we often lose sight of the many little victories that God provides that we can celebrate in the now. If we aren't careful, we can begin to look like the people of Israel as they walked through the desert, complaining of their, of their circumstances, even as God performed miraculous works around them. For example, I was thinking about this. In the last nine months, in the midst of COVID and, and social and political unrest and, 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 and isolation, I've seen the hand of God doing mighty works. Sure, it hasn't been without pain or, or lack of faith on our part, but God has been faithful and provided. Most of us, if we're honest, have remained healthy. We've, we've kept our jobs. I've even heard families say that they've never had more time than now because we aren't going a million miles per hour from thing to thing. Many of you have told me that you've never spent more time reading God's word and in prayer and in meaningful relationships. No doubt, like if you're anything like me, sin is coming to the surface in our lives. But God has been demonstrating his power through giving many of you new affections for him instead of our, our, our misplaced lusts that have trapped us for so long. Churches, including ours, have begun to refocus upon what truly matters as God has, has, has maybe, this is the word I would use, I think refined us. New doors into our community that, that are so far off from Christ are beginning to open up again. Sure, we, we could worry if we wanted to. We could complain. But that would be a bunch of just absolutely unnecessary noise. We'd be acting like those that don't even believe God can provide. We can and we should be like celebrating God's greatness, goodness, and faithfulness. And I would even say this again, just let me reiterate this, no matter our circumstances. Now, just to be again practical, one specific event that's coming upon us quickly is Christmas. For the longest time, I've thought that Christmas decorations and gifts should be banned. In fact, everything you see behind me, all these trees lit up, I always thought they were so dumb. Now, some of you no doubt may think I'm somehow a mixture of Ebenezer Scrooge and, and the Grinch. I think I've thought of myself more as maybe a, a master of simplicity. But as I said a second ago, I wasn't simplistic. I was miserly. I was mastered wrongly by simplicity. I'm, I'm so glad God has awakened my heart to the spiritual practice of celebration so that I might stop holding scarcity in my heart. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of God's greatness, goodness, faithfulness that are breaking into our world richly. We should sing like the angels did on that amazing night. And the more that I think about celebration and what God has done in our church family, the more I'm convinced this Christmas season needs to be full of joy. And let me add this to it. I think a byproduct of celebration is that we're generous. If a characteristic, if this characteristic of God is celebration and we were made to do it so that we might display God well, don't you think Christmas time is perfect? 
You can invite others into your joy by, by practicing generosity. All you have to do is go to the website and click on the, on the holiday spirit button and you can join into that with us. Now, now here's the second thing I was thinking about. We need to celebrate these 100 days that we're getting ready to complete. God has taught many of us so much during this time. We've been reminded of, of, of who we are in Christ. We've seen new life and obedience that has sprung into existence. And now we need to celebrate it. We, we need to figure out how. I get it that it's kind of a season of social distancing, but somehow we need to throw a party. We need to do a happy dance. We need to sing out and worship. Maybe even two, we need to just shout for joy. Maybe, maybe what you could do right now is give a friend a special gift to celebrate the mighty work that God did in their life. I've begun to see that in our battle with sin, our, our lack of celebration of the power of God to overcome any obstacle in our lives may just be the reason that we keep returning to sin. Those who don't celebrate have a tendency to, to gravitate towards apathy and mediocrity, which I don't want you to do. However, those that exude joy and hope, man, they see their treasure in Christ, not their failure, and they grow from it. Third, I think we need to become maybe fearless in displaying our affections. I think for too long, conservative Christians have treated following Christ as maybe just this, this act of the head. We've geared ourselves to, to focus upon information acquisition and, and no doubt, like I don't, I don't wanna leave this behind without saying that I understand the Bible is vitally important, but it isn't the end. When truth from God's word is revealed and transformation takes place in our lives, we have now seen God, right, do this, this powerful work amongst us. And like the Israelites in the early church, we should celebrate exuberantly. We should allow what God is, is stirring within us to be made obvious for everyone to see. Practically, we should sing and dance before the Lord, or maybe you need to just shout if you can't sing or dance because he's granted us victory over what's enslaved us. When others experience the power of God, man, choose to enthusiastically rejoice with those who rejoice. And don't forget to celebrate. This is something I've forgotten to do. We sometimes tell our kids what they've done wrong, but we forget to celebrate when we see God do a work in them. Now, here's the last one. While this life, it trusted to us, said, oh my gosh, I've learned this so much over the last month or so. It demands an urgency. It demands an earnestness. God needs to be taken seriously, but we don't need to take ourselves so seriously about everything. One of my favorite authors and speakers, Chuck Swindoll, he used to say, don't take yourself too seriously. After all, no one else does. You see, when we take ourselves too seriously, our relationship suffers. And to be honest, no one wants to be around us. When we take ourselves too seriously, we lose all our influence with others because being around us becomes a burden. Some of us need to just lighten up a lot. Unlike the world around us, we don't need to insist on entitlements because we already have all that we need in Christ. We can stop comparing ourselves to others and worrying about what others think about us because we are fully accepted by God in Christ. We can learn anew 
to poke fun at ourselves because we know we're not perfect. We're just people that are being made perfect. Now, now let me just say this. I'm sure that when we talk about this, there's a number of other ways to celebrate God's greatness, his goodness and faithfulness. So those are just four. Let's be creative, even during isolation. Now, I think we need a caution at this point. Often, I feel like we, we try to manufacture this reality by coming to the point of celebration probably, probably too quickly. We wanna celebrate experiencing the victory without experiencing the power of God in transformation in our lives. When churches gather to worship, we, we might try to pump people up about the greatness of God in our lives, but, but sadly, we do so without first knowing and experiencing his work in us. We wanna be, be full of joy, but we haven't placed ourselves in his pathway or presence and seen God's power in our everyday existence. We just haven't seen it. If we aren't careful, we can celebrate, or even worse, we can pretend to celebrate something that isn't true in our lives. And if we pretend to celebrate something that isn't true in us, we put ourselves in a terrible position of hypocrisy. We know it is shallow. I also understand that to some, this celebration seems unnecessary. And again, I, I'm that guy. However, what if this lack of celebration reveals that we're more like the, the brother of the prodigal who we looked at earlier, who, who refused to celebrate, missing the importance of what had taken place? What if we're more like Judas, who saw Mary, right, anoint the feet of Jesus with this expensive perfume and only thought about what it cost? What if the reason we go back to sin or, or become apathetic is due to our lack of celebration when we see God's greatness, his goodness, and his faithfulness? In my 27 years within the church, celebration was often not at the forefront. But the longer I've pastored, I believed we are to cheer and clap when someone confesses Christ and is baptized. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we should, in, in unity, announce to the world with reverence and excitement that Jesus Christ reigns. We should eagerly, like, like children, await Easter, this declaration that resurrection is possible while we wait for the ultimate and unending celebration of our faith when, when Jesus finally returns to rule and reign over his good world. When a man or woman is transformed so that the sin they've battled for years is replaced with obedience because of the work of God, who he should, like the prodigal's father, kill the fatted calf. I mean, in our world, grill some steaks and praise. And when a church walks faithfully through a pandemic and shutdowns and social unrest and political upheaval, keeping their eyes on Christ and exuding love to each other in the community around us. We should sing and dance and strike up the band to honor the power of King Jesus to walk us through it. Listen, the central reason for Christian celebration is that God in Christ is making all things new. Jesus shows us that God is for us, not against us. God is with us, not absent. In Jesus, God became flesh and blood and he moved into our neighborhood. And the good news is, is that God keeps moving into the neighborhood of each of our lives and our communities, and we're not alone. 
Celebration is absolutely central to all of the different practices and rhythms that we're creating. Without this, this joyful kind of spirit of celebration, the di disciplines just become, I would say this, tools of almost death, kind of like Pharisees. Celebration in God's greatness, his goodness, his faithfulness, it produces energy. And right now, Cornerstone, we kind of need that energy. It is time to celebrate. God bless you all.